You're listening to a 3CR podcast created in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au. Think again with Borderlands Cooperative. Join us for critical conversations about things that matter. Every Friday at 10am on 3CR Community Radio, 855am on your dial. And on 3CR Digital and streaming live at 3cr.org.au. So together, let's think again about important matters affecting us, like economics, politics, education, health, climate, and what we can do about it all. Welcome to our 131st program of Think Again. Think Again is presented to you by Borderlands Cooperative, an organisation dedicated to social change for about 24 years now. I'm your host, Jennifer Burrell. Jacques isn't here today, but I have the privilege of speaking with Andrea Lux from the Victorian Aboriginal Legal Service. This is the second time as I also interviewed her mid-July in 2021, as some people may recall. Welcome again to the program, Andrea. Thank you for having me once again. Mm, pleasure. So firstly, Andrea, can you remind our listeners what OPCAT is and the responsibilities of our state and federal governments relating to this United Nations protocol? Of course. So Uh, OPCAT, the Optional Protocol to the Convention Against Torture and Other Cruel, Inhuman or Degrading Treatment or Punishment, is a UN protocol that the Australian government signed and then ratified in 2017. And that was a voluntary decision on their part to make a commitment that by January, so Next week, on the 20th of January this year, Mm -hmm. they will have set up a system um, by which there would be regular visits undertaken by independent bodies uh, to all places where people are deprived of their liberty. And the purpose of those bodies and the protocol more broadly is to prevent the torture and cruel, inhuman or degrading treatment or punishment of detained people. Mm, Thank you, Andrea. Uh, it's been interesting seeing all the publicity surrounding tennis star Novak Djokovic lately being incarcerated in an immigration detention hotel, the Park Hotel, and, and that's the same hotel where refugees and asylum seekers, of course, have been languishing for many years, some up to nine years, while having committed no crime, and some have literally lost their youth while awaiting a decision on their immigration status. So, I guess uh, my broad question is what sort of places of detention are covered by this UN protocol, OPCAT, and, and for example, would the Park Hotel be covered by OPCAT? That's a really um, interesting question and, and very much goes to the heart of the intention of this UN protocol. And what might seem to be a pretty straightforward question um, might not necessarily have a straightforward answer. So, Um, At that hotel, we know it's been used as an immigration detention facility for refugees um, Mm -hmm. and asylum seekers who, um, under the now defunct Medivac um, regime, were able to come from uh, the regional processing centres 
in other countries to receive medical attention. But we also know more recently that Djokovic, of course, has been also held there. And we know that as a result of the pandemic, many uh, places of quarantine, including hotel quarantine, have been set up as a means to prevent the, the spread of COVID throughout the rest of the community. And I've already spoken briefly about the domestic detention bodies that need to be set up, but there's also a need to have um, access by the UN international body that sits under this treaty, the Subcommittee on the Prevention um, for the Prevention of Torture. And part of their role is to come to countries that have ratified um, OPCAT and to conduct their own visits, but also to support governments like Australia to ensure compliance. And early on in this pandemic, they've said um, they've issued very clear guidance that formal places of quarantine would fall within the OPCAT mandate. And in fact, we've seen in other countries like the um, like in New Zealand, the New Zealand Ombudsman um, in October 2020 began um, visiting places where people were held um, as a result of similar quarantine measures. Mm. And the purpose of that was to ensure that people were um, being treated well while they were in there. Um, and they've actually found that they had you know, an increase in the number of complaints, um, for example, and, and direct contact to that ombudsman in New Zealand in August 2021. And this has kind of all come to, to the attention of the Australian public um, with this high-profile case. Um, but there'll be other things that, that will have cropped up over the last few years that might make people question, would OPCAT, would detention oversight fall um, fall under this as well? And a perfect example is what we've seen is the public housing lockdowns um, in July 2020. And so as a result of those lockdowns, you may recall that the Victorian Ombudsman um, had an own motion investigation around the government's conduct. And in fact, one of their findings was that um, requiring people at Alfred Street to exercise in an area surrounded by temporary fencing was incompatible with protection against degrading treatment and the right to humane treatment when deprived of liberty. Mm. And so that's, like, I suppose, another example of if we had an operating um, detention oversight body under OPCAT, they would have been able to go in there on a regular basis to, to prevent ill treatment before it happened. Mm. And, and I do understand that Australia has been seeking for there to be quite a narrow definition of places of detention for the purpose of OPCAT, is that right? That's correct. And Australia is quite unusual in, in taking this approach. Um, it surely um, doesn't fit well with, uh, I suppose, the intention of voluntarily signing up to ensure that uh, people's human rights are protected while they're deprived of their liberty. But the Commonwealth Government has really focused on primary places of detention, which is not a term that's uh, known in law. It's certainly not something that the UN has um, seen other countries sort of consider before. And particularly mm -hmm. concerning for us at 
fouls at the Victorian Aboriginal Legal Service is an attempt to exclude those places where people might be detained for less than 24 hours. So that would include, for example, police vehicles. But we have all heard um, incredibly mm-hmm. horrific stories of, of mistreatment in that context as well. Yeah, obviously really high-risk situations that you'd wonder why you'd want to in, um, exclude them anyway. So um, I guess last July when we spoke about this UN anti-torture protocol known as OPCAT, uh, we were saying that uh, the Victorian and Australian governments really need to get their skates on to meet their obligations to implement this protocol in time and especially given that it's already been given an extension which would end at the end of January and um, so the deadline as you say is the end of this month which you've just noted is did you say next week? Yes the 20th of January. The 20th wow I thought it was the end of January so can you describe what progress (laughs) as it is what progress Uh, the government's made and maybe make a bit of distinction of the role with Victorian government and Australian government. So what progress has been made? Not much I understand, but maybe you can tell us about that. So it's been pretty disappointing, the lack of progress, particularly as you say, Australia's already asked for a three-year extension. So they've had ample opportunity to do something. That's four years. And, And while I do appreciate that the pandemic has thrown a spanner in the works in so many ways, the fact that um, we do have a pandemic at the moment makes having these sorts of human rights protections all the more important. Mm. And so the government, the Commonwealth government ratified OPCAT, but of course all governments across Australia at state, territory, federal level deprive people of their liberty. So really this is a shared responsibility um, and you would hope that all governments would take that seriously So at the Victorian level, um, sadly, despite frequently um, putting itself forward as a particularly progressive state, uh, not much has happened at all. Mm. We have seen in the last budget that um, a mere 500,000 has been allocated to OPCAT implementation. It seems Mm. to be a one-off amount. It's very Mm. unclear how that will be used or how it has been used. There's Mm -hmm. no commitment for ongoing funding. And from the Commonwealth government's perspective, we know that um, they did announce that under the Closing the Gap Commonwealth implementation plan, um, they would be allocating an undisclosed amount, one-off funding to support states and territories to um, comply with OPCAT obligations. Mm -hmm. We still don't know what the amount is and we're still talking about these sort of one-off amounts. And I I know it sounds like I'm talking a lot about money and the reason for that is it does seem that for these sort of bigger states based on what's been said publicly, um, for example, New South Wales has been very frank about this, they don't want to foot the bill. And so it mm. seems to be this sort of internal conversation about who should pay rather yeah. than everyone coming to the table and saying, all right, this is something that we really need to do as a country. Yeah. Um, And so we've got the big sort of three of the biggest jurisdictions, really, Queensland, New South Wales, Victoria, having done basically nothing. Mm. Um, Some states and territories have done better than us, but there's definitely no exemplary sort of conduct on anyone's part. We know Mm. that in the Northern Territory they've released a bill, so supporting legislation, which is 
um, sort of ideal practice um, mm. and they, they've opened that up for consultation. We have bills in South Australia and in Tasmania. In Western Australia, there was already an existing body that was going into, um, you know, prisons, the uh, office of the inspired, uh, so the office of the inspector of custodial services. They've been designated um, the detention oversight body in relation to to that, um, but without consultation and seemingly without um, that sort of legislative and funding support. And um, in the ACT, there's been some consultation around OPCAT implementation. Mm-hmm. And at the Commonwealth level, which I guess is, is, you know, relevant when we're talking about immigration detention particularly, um, the Commonwealth Ombudsman has been designated to um, conduct those sort of unannounced, um, unimpeded visits to places of immigration detention and for Australian Federal Police. Mm, so obviously to... Um... To wrap it up, we're not making anywhere near the efforts and progress we should be making and it doesn't look like it's going to happen over the next week. No, it's impossible. Um, And it's actually, I think, quite embarrassing for all of the governments involved here because we've had four years to do something and to be this far behind with this little progress is really an indefensible position to be in. Mm. and particularly, you know, given that when we appeared before the UN, well, we, Australia, appeared before the UN last year, a lot of the nations really congratulated Australia for ratifying OPCAT. But needless to say, the next time Australia appears before the UN, UPR, um, the Universal Periodic Review, they're going to be condemned for their failures. So for breaking this promise to the international community mm. and to the Australian community as well. Yeah. So on that note, I will go to a music break with The Bridge by Nick Charles and we'll continue after that.
You're listening to Think Again, 3CR, 855 AM on your dial, 3CR digital and streaming at 3cr.org.au. Today I'm talking with Andrea Lutz from the Victorian Aboriginal Legal Service and she's updating us on the UN protocol against torture, known as OPCAT, and she's also telling us how we're nowhere near implementing the protocol by the by the 20th of January, sorry, the 20th of January deadline. So meanwhile, uh, while we wait for the government to implement or even organise to implement OPCAT, real people are affected. It, it's not some academic abstract issue for them, is it, Andrea? No, and I, I can understand that people might hear OPCAT and, and not really understand what its importance is or um, what it could achieve, but when we're talking about people deprived of their liberty, they're kind of hidden away from, from the community, hidden away from public view. And so it might be easy to forget about them and their own personal plights. But mm. we know, particularly of interest, again, to Vals, but hopefully to everyone who's listening to this show today, Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people continue to be grossly overrepresented in Victoria's prison system but also prisons across Australia. Mm. So if we look, for example, on the 30th of June 2021, there were 8,431 people, individual people with with families, with, um, you know, communities and, of course, their own need for, for protection from cruel, inhuman, degrading treatment at the hands of detaining authorities. And of those 8,500 or so people, 697 were Aboriginal. So that makes up 8% of the prison population. But when we look at how many Aboriginal people there are in Victoria's general population, it's 0.9%. Mm. So that's a really damning statistic. And um, before I kind of go into individual stories, because I think it's um, we shouldn't always just focus on statistics and, and focus on individuals as well. But I think it would be remiss for me not to highlight that last year we marked the 30-year anniversary for the Royal Commission into Aboriginal Deaths in Custody. And we've also now marked a very, very grim, tragic, horrific milestone of 500 Aboriginal and or Torres Strait Islander people having died in custody across this country mm since that watershed report was handed mm. down. And, you know, at VALS we represent the bereaved families of people who have died in custody. And so we're well aware of some of those really deeply entrenched failures in the detention setting, in mm. prisons, in Victoria, such as inadequate medical care. So those opportunities to avoid deaths in custody um, that kind of keep being ignored and kind of against this context, it's really hard to understand why there hasn't been any progress on OPCAT. Yeah. Um, and what we've been seeing tragically at VALS is our coronial inquest practices only getting busier. Mm. And our hope was that we would have OPCAT detention oversight in place. So at least we could have people going in expert teams going in on a regular basis to identify those risks of for ill treatment, torture and death so we don't have this many Aboriginal people dying in custody. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, there, there seems to be a real lack of political will, doesn't there, just generally, not just in relation to OPCAT, this protocol, but just generally, as you say, over the last 30 years, the situation hasn't really improved. If not, it's got worse. It has gotten worse um, and there is 
seemingly little political will um, in this space. Um, I mean, I will say that, you know, we've seen that the Victorian government has set up you know, URUC, the, the Truth and Justice Commission, which is an important step. We do know that there are treaty negotiations happening, but there's also unimplemented Royal Commission recommendations and OPCAT hasn't been implemented either. So there's mm-hmm. there's inconsistency there and on really important issues. And if I can maybe give you a an example of where OPCAT might be able to assist, um, and I just want yeah. to... To, to warn, though, um, any Aboriginal and or Torres Strait Islander people listening today, I will be using um, the name of, of someone who is sadly passed away. And there is some distressing content as well. Um, as I think probably many people who are listening today um, and keeping an eye on what's been happening in this space, you'll know that in January 2020, Miss Nelson, a proud Gundijmara, Jajawarong, Wiradjuri and Yorta Yorta woman was refused bail after being arrested for shoplifted, shoplifting related offences. And she was remanded at the Victorian women's prison, the Dane Phyllis Frost Centre. And three days after being remanded, she tragically died alone in her cell. Mm-hmm. Um, we know it's been publicly reported um, that on the night of her death she was distressed and cried out for medical assistance quite a number of times. Mm. And I won't go into into those details much more because that coronial inquest is still before the court. Mm -hmm. Um, But I I will relay um, the words of of her partner of 22 years and and what what he said um, some months ago now, and that was, I don't want it to happen again. I want to make it easier for the next woman who gets locked up. I want them to be looked after more. I want them to get more support and treatment in the community. And I think that they're words that we should be listening to, um, that, that generosity and that care of wanting no other families to go through this. Mm. And the thing is, if we had an OPCAT detention oversight body going in. When we talk about prevention, it's incredibly broad. And I've mentioned that um, Ms Nelson was refused bail. And so bail laws are a really important part or piece of of this puzzle around over-incarceration of Aboriginal people in Victoria. And I've spoken about the subcommittee for the prevention of torture, that, that UN body under OPCAT, And their role is identifying those sort of systemic issues that also result in excessive use of pre-trial detention. So they can actually look as broadly as are the bail laws contributing to overcrowding in places of detention, which then we know Mm. leads to poorer conditions and treatment. And, in Mm. fact, when they visited New Zealand a few years ago, one of the things that they noted was their concerns around the legislation on bail and the fact that it was going to be disproportionately affecting the Indigenous peoples there, the mm. Māori people. Yeah. So it's obvious that uh, OPCAT would have a really powerful uh, prevention uh, power to uh, stop people dying in custody and, and being tortured, of course. So there's obviously... Uh, we're really come to the end of this pro, uh, coming to the end of the program much too soon and I'd love to have you on the program to talk more about this because I know we're also going to talk about isolation which we can do I would 
I think would be great to do in a future program. But um, as a final question, Andrea, is there anything our listeners can do to let our Victorian and federal governments know that we really care about people's welfare in places of detention? And specifically, we really care about them not being tortured while in places of detention. And we want proper legislation and processes put in place to ensure that it doesn't happen anymore. So is there anything our listeners can do? Yes, and and I'm sorry, I I've, um, I tend to not keep to time, but would definitely like to speak with you at some point about the use of isolation and solitary confinement and the harms mm. um, of of that particular practice. But in terms of listeners today, I think it comes back to we have a Victorian election this year and we have a Commonwealth election this year, mm. and you as constituents are actually in a powerful position to let the Attorney General's Attorneys General know your position, both at the Victorian and the Commonwealth level. And you can write to them and say that you expect our government to comply with inter- international human rights obligations and that they won't break their promises to the international community and to the Australian community and that as a voter you want to see an end to Aboriginal deaths in custody and that while torture might be, you know, a scary word and it might seem like those sorts of practices don't happen in a country like Australia, the reality is it does. It's mm. just hidden away from view. So mm. you can write a letter, you can send, you know, even if it's a one-liner, asking them to comply. And I think an important part of this is also going to ensure that there's going to be ongoing funding And what a government chooses to spend on in their budget tells you what actually matters to them. And so a government that can spend literally billions of dollars on policing and prisons can spend money to put in place safeguards to ensure that all that money spent on, you know, staffing, on weapons, on Mm -hmm. building infrastructure, cells made of concrete and metal that ensuring that there's safeguards to protect those incredibly vulnerable people who Mm. are deprived of their liberty in those settings and that there's money Mm. set aside so we have a really robust independent detention oversight system and put money into humane prevention processes rather than into necessarily weapons and walls <laughs> I guess as well so absolutely thank you Andrea I do have to we do have to finish off now but we will continue this discussion because it is so important and not getting half an uh, um, uh, even a skerrick of the uh, coverage it should be in the media so thanks so much for coming on the program talking about this and for your advice for how our listeners can come on board Thank you very much. You're very welcome. (laughs) So thanks for listening to Think Again on 3CR Community Radio today. If you have any feedback about today's program, you can email Borderlands. That's borders at borderlands.org.au. And, of course, we can pass any messages on to Andrea Lux as well. Our programs are available by podcast wherever you get your podcasts and via the 3CR website at 3cr.org.au. 
Meanwhile, stay tuned for the following program, Jailbreak, which gives a voice to our brothers and sisters in prison. To bring us into this program, we have Milkumana by King Stingray. Yeah, that's 